I was reading this week a story about a young man called Sammy. A true story by all accounts. During a period of great spiritual awakening in the community where Sammy lived, Sammy, who was something of a boy, had something of a past, and some of his contemporaries were wonderfully born again of the Spirit of God. They subsequently applied to the local evangelical church for church membership. Their application, Sammy's and his contemporaries, came before the diaconate. But there was much discussion amongst the deacons as to how real Sammy's conversion was. Did he understand the fundamentals of the Christian faith? Could we really take the chance to welcome him into membership? Finally, the pastor, in an attempt to appease the diaconate, said, I tell you what, I will interview Sammy and endeavor to discern whether his profession of faith is genuine. So the pastor interviewed him, examined him to see whether he was the subject of genuine regeneration of the Spirit of God. The pastor asked, do you think, Sammy, that you have been truly born again? I think I have, pastor, came the remark. Well, said the pastor, Sammy, whose work is that? Sammy thought for a moment and then responded confidently. Oh, he says, God did a part and I did a part. Hmm, the pastor thought. Ah, he said, Sammy, and what part did you do? Sammy said, well, I opposed God all that I could, and God did the rest. (laughs) The pastor concluded that uh, Sammy had enjoyed a genuine work of the Spirit. That the Spirit had been his, his divine teacher of Christian doctrine, and he was welcomed into membership. Throughout the book of Ruth, inevitably we're thinking about grace. The word grace permeates the entire book. It's seen in some way, shape or form in every verse. And if you're looking for a good definition of grace beyond the good tried acrostic G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, then I commend to you Sammy's response to the pastor. Grace. Why? I opposed God all that I could. And he did the rest. Hallelujah. 
That registers in my heart, you see. Because when I was 13 years of age, I opposed God all that I could. And God did the rest and wonderfully saved me. Hallelujah. But ever since that day, brothers and sisters, I must confess, I have known the grace of God day after day, hour after hour, because I find myself opposing God all that I can. But hallelujah, God has done the rest. I stand before you tonight a product, if you like, of the grace of God. And because of God's grace, this product, if you like, and indeed every one of us in Christ, we've been welcomed into the family of God. And because we've been welcomed into the family of God, we're enjoying what the Bible describes as a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. Not because we deserve it. Not because we were born into it. But because of grace. Ruth begins to enjoy the wonders of a covenant relationship. We begin to read here in chapter 2, verses 14 onwards, how that covenant relationship is enjoyed by Ruth. Not because she deserved it, although she had been good and faithful to Naomi. Not because she was born into it, because quite the opposite. She was a Moabitess. Had no natural right to inherit. Such a relationship, but because of grace. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Anybody here deserve it tonight? Looking around lovingly? Anybody here born into it? Anybody a Jew here or of, of Jewish heritage? No. Hey ho. That means you and I are one. We are the recipients of grace. Hallelujah. And consequently, we are welcomed into the family of God and we become the beneficiaries of a family relationship, a covenant relationship. Boy, I've got so many notes tonight. I don't know where to begin. Oh, I've already begun, you say. I have to move quickly. I do want to note something significant here, but it's by way of a kind of introduction, but it's one of my tangents. You're getting used to those by now, aren't you? My tangents. It's not part of the the main message. It's not speaking so much about the the covenant relationship that I want to get into. Um, But I, I can't get over it. I've struggled this week to get over it, and I can't. And it's... It's, it's how Boaz, kind of welcoming Ruth into the family slowly but surely, how he responds in a way that is beyond the letter of the law. It moves me. 
It moves me. Boaz was a righteous man. We're sure of that. He was a man of integrity, a man of influence, a man of means, a man who would treat the law with proper respect. And that he did. For he had already allowed Ruth to, to glean behind the harvesters, remember. Uh, that was part of the law, the Levitical law, to provide for the poor and the widow. But notice how he went beyond the letter of the law. I love it. Speaks of grace. Because he said, subsequent to a meal, (laughs) within which we read, Ruth ate all she wanted and had some left over. I love that. Isn't that the gospel? Whenever we come together to, to feast from the word of God, we, we eat all that we want and we have plenty left over. It's like the Lord feeding the 5,000. They ate all that they wanted and they had basketfuls left over. Speaks of God's provision, doesn't it? She had some left over. But then they went back in the afternoon, I guess, to, to glean some more. And and Boaz recognized that a cold adherence to the strict letter of the law takes the law outside of the covenant of grace. And so we're told of Boaz's generosity towards Ruth that she that, that she might glean beyond the letter of the law. Notice he says in verses 15b, 16, let her, he says to his, his, his servants, let her glean even amongst the sheaves. Wow. Wow. I wonder what his servants thought. I wonder what they thought. Really? Really, boss? Really? really? You don't have to do that, boss. You're already uh, adhering to the Lord. You're already looking after the the poor and the widow. She gleans behind. You don't have to do that, boss. No, he says, but let her, let her glean even amongst the sheaves. That's the authorized. I quite like that. And reproach her not, says the authorized. And let her fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. In other words, pull them up for her. And leave them behind. Isn't it wonderful? This is grace. Boaz goes beyond the letter of the law, though he protected that, to embrace the dynamic of grace. A generosity based on grace. Friends, we're reminded that in Israelite religion, the law... Important though it was, was never intended to be merely an external code requiring legalistic observance and subservience. Rather, the law was to be understood within the context of a covenant relationship. Hallelujah. I'll say it again. It's important. The law was to be understood within the context of a covenant relationship. As Christians, we need to realize that whilst the do's and don'ts of Scripture are important, and of course they are, they need to be seen in the context of a covenant relationship. 
A relationship in Christ that sets us free from the Lord of sin and death. A relationship in Christ that is demonstrated in love. It's often said that Islamic fundamentalism is the greatest threat to the Christian church in the United Kingdom in these early years of the 21st century. Perhaps. Perhaps. Do you want to hear my hypothesis? The greatest threat to the Christian church in the early years of the 21st century isn't Islamic fundamentalism. It's dead Christian fundamentalism. It's the kind of mindset that says, well, this is the way we've always done it. Pastor. It's the kind of mindset that's led to the closure of chapel after chapel after chapel in South Wales and beyond in these, in these days. The letter of the law. And the letter of the law is there to protect a covenant relationship. I love Boaz's mindset. <laughs> Pull out for her handfuls of purpose. I love that. Don't you? Handfuls of purpose. That was my tangent. I hope you don't mind me going down that tangent. I have two thoughts. We're thinking about covenant relationship. Enjoyed within the confines of the family of God. Because of the grace of God. I want firstly to consider. Firstly he says. I've been preaching for 20 minutes. I want to Two quick thoughts. Hey. The characteristics of covenant relationship. The characteristics of covenant relationship. If you're in the family of God tonight, what do you enjoy as a consequence? What are the characteristics? Well, we read, after Ruth's hard day's work, she beat out her gleanings. To leave the edible barley, of course. And was able to take back home to Naomi an enormous amount. We read there in verse 17. It was an ephah. Ephah? Anybody? <laughs> well, that was about five gallons. An ephah was actually an ancient basket. And it was so big, it could contain, it could carry a small human being. So she gleaned well. Did she not? Because Boaz not only applied the law, but he applied grace. Boy, oh boy, we glean well, don't we, in Christ? We glean well, don't we? You're not convinced? We glean, we, we're so blessed. And she had this ephah. And, and no wonder Naomi was bowled over by it. And she bursts out into spontaneous praise. Praise God for the man in whose field you, you glean today. Spontaneous praise. And she praised even before she knew who Ruth's benefactor actually was. And when she finds out that the benefactor was indeed Boaz, she prays a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing. That's one of the most wonderful, wonderful prayers in the entire Bible. I love it. You with me? 
Verse 20. Has not God stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead? The Lord bless him. He, that is God, Moffat prefers eternal. The eternal has not stopped showing his kindness. I want us to think about this word kindness. Because it's one of the, one of the most amazing words in the Hebrew. Amazing word. What are we the beneficiaries of? The kindness of the eternal. The kindness of God. What does that mean in real terms? We haven't the time to go into detail. But you want to see my notes. I've got shedfuls. But it's this word chesed. Have you come across it? Chesed. Translated throughout the Old Testament in numerous ways. It speaks firstly about warmth. The warmth of God's brotherly comradeship. You see, the word chesed is used to describe David's relationship with with Jonathan. That was an intimate relationship. It was one of, of warmth. Nothing to do with sexuality or all that nonsense. It was one of brotherly relationship. Where one would lay down one's life for the other. It speaks of warmth. And it's also applied to God. Chesed. The warmth of God's brotherly comradeship. Nothing like having a brother or a sister standing shoulder to shoulder. Especially in time of need. One of the beneficiaries, one of the characteristics of this covenant relationship is this warm relationship that God has towards us like a brother who stands with us. Hallelujah. I'm so glad he does. Because I'm weak on my own. Weak on my own. This word chesed also in the Old Testament is used of the security of God. It's used of God when the writer speaks about Yahweh delivering his people Israel from bondage in Egypt speaks of his kingly covenant relationship with his people and the security that they enjoy. So we we know of warmth, we know of security. Aren't you glad that you're secure in Christ tonight? No one can snatch you out of his hand. Hallelujah. It speaks of the support that God has for his own. Isaiah 63, 15 through 16. Psalm 68, 15. Psalm 95, 7. I could go on. It's used of of the chesed of God in a, a kind of parental, pastoral relationship to his own. So God supports us as a father. He stands by us as a brother. He protects us as a king. And he supports us as a father. Wow. Isn't it good? Hechesed. It speaks about the mystery of God's faithfulness. We're all familiar with the the prophet Hosea. A man who was called by God to prophesy. And as part of that call, he was commanded to marry a prostitute. As an example of of God's dealings with his, his 
is the people Israel. And throughout the book of Hosea, chesed is used to speak about the mystery of God's faithfulness to a people who have prostituted themselves to foreign gods. I wonder, how faithful would you and I be if your loved ones had prostituted themselves to foreign gods? But our God is faithful. <laughs> He's said, you see. And it, it speaks about, in Jeremiah 31.20, the certainty of God's undying love for His children. The prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, remember of course, was called to bring difficult words to a rebellious nation. Words of judgment. Must have broke God's heart to send Jeremiah the way he did. But it's a prophecy tinged with the message of God's undying love. God's chesed. The characteristics of this covenant relationship enjoyed by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Well, we have God standing by us. The warmth of his brotherly comradeship. We know something of his kingly covenanted security. We know something of his support as a parent, as a pastor shepherd. We know something of the mystery of God's faithfulness and mercy towards us. In spite of our rebelliousness, we know something of the certainty of God's undying love for his children. This is chesed. What a word. You've got to feel sorry for the translators, haven't you? How do you put that into a single word? Well, <laughs> kindness <laughs> doesn't really begin, does it? There's an old chorus I used to sing thy loving kindness is better than life and it is the chesed of God his loving kindness is better than life and this, these are the characteristics of a covenant relationship expressed so beautifully through Naomi's prayer and praise and blessing for Boaz and quickly, because you're passing out, it's so warm in here. The mystery of the covenant relationship. We're familiar, I'm sure, with the old adage. Whilst man proposes, God disposes. We have in the story of Ruth a principle that runs throughout scriptures. Indeed, it runs throughout history, namely the juxtaposition that exists between a theological fact and an historical fact. Look at verse 20. Firstly, we're presented with a theological statement, a theological fact. Yahweh has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. But then we're followed immediately with an historical Statement, historical fact. That man, Boaz, is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. We see here how the gracious hand of God towards Naomi and Ruth acted through the gracious actions of men. 
We see how God's sovereign will, His blessings upon Naomi and Ruth directly, and God's permissive will, His use of Boaz's kind generosity, we see how they both work together to accomplish His ultimate will. And that is the best for His child. We see here that the grace and kindness of God do not override human agency, but rather that it is often through human agency that God's gracious kindness is received. I call this a mystery. Because I am part of the human race. If I were God, I wouldn't bother with us, would you? Inconsistent at best. Downright disobedient at worst. Why bother with a people like that? But oh my friends, the grace of God. The mystery of His, of His providential care. Yes, He acts directly by His sovereign will in circumstances and situations. But how often does God by His permissive will work through, through other channels? Through mere human beings. Is that not mysterious? The Apostle Paul thought so. (laughs) He called the existence of the Christian church a mystery, didn't he? (laughs) I'm looking at, at mysteries. Some of you are far more mysterious than others, I grant you. But I'm looking at mysteries. Because God has chosen you to be channels, to be vessels, to be conduits, to be those through whom He blesses others and fulfills His sovereign will. Wow. That humbles me. Blesses me socks off as well, to be fair. I said it often. I I know what I'm like, you see. You think you know me? (laughs) You don't know half. But he knows me. I tell you, if you knew me, you'd be shocked. I'm even in the pulpit. But God knows me. And by his permissive will, he allows this weak, fickle, come-day-go-day vessel to be useful in his hand and to communicate the word of God. That humbles me. That humbles me. The mystery of the covenant relationship that God should use us as channels of blessing. No wonder St. Francis of Assisi prayed, make me a channel of your peace, God. Where there's hatred, let me bring love, injury, your pardon, doubt, true faith. God has chosen to work out His purposes concerning this 
covenant relationship, this family of God, this church of Jesus Christ. He has chosen to work out his purposes through channels like you and I. In Ruth, it was Boaz. (laughs) You and I. I'm humbled by it. So bless God tonight. For the family of God. Bless God tonight that we, my friends, are enjoying the characteristics of belonging to this family. Warmth, security, support, the mystery of his faithfulness, the certainty of his undying love. Do you know these, my brother, my sister? Are these yours tonight? Or are you wrestling? You see, if we're not enjoying these characteristics, it's not God's problem. It's not His fault. We find it necessary far too often to grieve the Spirit, to use New Testament language. Are you wrestling? Are you grieving? Are these characteristics, are these not yours? Oh, my friend... If you're in Jesus, you're a child of God. And these characteristics are for you. The mystery is also that he will use the likes of you and I to communicate the wonders of the word of God, the gospel message to the lost and dying and indeed to minister to the church itself. Ruth chapter 2 ends as Ruth chapter 1 ended. Interestingly. With a reference to the harvest. Whilst in chapter 1, however, the tone is one of sadness and and bitterness and isolation and poverty. Now here in chapter 2, the tone has changed, hasn't it? And boy, has it changed. The tone is one of hope. One of comfort, one of provision. And brothers and sisters, that's what God does when he comes. The tone changes. We have here in chapter 2 a tone that speaks of the grace of providence. It speaks of the possibilities of grace. It speaks about the grace of provision. Our God is a, an, an amazing God. Remember grace. I opposed God all I could. And he did the rest. My brother, my sister, all I plead with thee tonight is allow him to do the rest. Echo the prayer of the hymn writer. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour. Or I die.